I woke up startled at five in the morning by a loud voice on a speakerphone. Having been in such a deep sleep, I'd completely forgotten where I was. As I gathered my thoughts, I looked around me, only to remember that this was my first night out of a four-day trip in Afghanistan. And the voice on the speakerphone that woke me up was the call to prayer from the mosque across the street. As the days passed by and I heard this call to prayer five times a day, I learned to see it as a time for peace and an opportunity to be present. For us, travel has been arguably the most formative and impactful experience in our lives. From moving away from our native countries in our teenage years, to our collective journey making travel films in countries like Afghanistan, it's safe to say that it has completely broadened our perspective of the world around us, made us more empathetic to people from other cultures, and endlessly more curious to explore and understand more of our vast and complex planet. On today's episode of the Yes Theory podcast, we bring on Lexi Alford, a very special guest who holds the Guinness World Record for being the youngest person to travel to every country. That's 196 by the age of 21, in case you were wondering. She's traveled to many of these places by herself and accumulated immense wisdom from all her travels and the incredible people she's met along the way. So we're beyond excited today to have her on to discuss the inevitable ups and downs that come with traveling, explore how travel can truly be one of the most life-changing ways of seeking discomfort, and we share some incredibly unique moments from our own traveling journeys. So join us on this episode to explore the intricacies of travel and what makes these experiences so important. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Yes Theory podcast, season two in partnership with Headspace Studios. Today, we are talking with Lexi Alford about the importance of travel. Who is Lexi? Who is Lexi? Uh, <laughs> Lexi, the, Amar and I have lived together for a year and a half. And, uh, wow, Lexi, so random. Why is that? And, and Lexi is also <laughs> happens to be my girlfriend. Um, and the thing that the first thing that we bonded over was our shared desire for travel. Um, the week that I met her, she was preparing to go to Iraq, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, and Dubai. And definitely piqued my interest. I didn't know of anyone that had ever traveled to either Iraq or Afghanistan before. And it came very full circle because two years after meeting, we went to Iraq together to Kurdistan. So definitely inspired a lot of my travels. And I think it's been the best education that I've had, I want to say. And in a lot of ways, it is one of the purest forms of seeking discomfort because you pluck yourself out of your regular conditioning your culture, your societal norms to experience something completely different. And those trips that you mentioned, that time that you guys met, that was also very significant for Lexi because that was the final stretch of a journey that took how long? Like a decade? Yeah, I mean, so for a little bit of background on uh, beyond being Thomas's girlfriend, <laughs> uh, I started traveling when I was really young because my mom started a travel agency in California. So growing up, my parents would bring me with them while they were going on adventures around the world. And by the time I turned 18, I had ended up going to around 70 countries. Wow. And then I got to thinking about 
that, like those numbers and how many countries are there in the world and uh, what would the youngest person to have traveled to all of them be? And at that point, it was being held by a 24 and a half year old British man. And uh, I once I saw that there was a Guinness World Record <laughs> for this and I saw that I had over six years to travel to every country and break a world record doing it. I just knew that I would regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't at least try to do it. It's almost like your duty now to just make that happen, exactly. right? Yeah. yeah. What was your life in, in school and just as a teenager like? Uh, I almost felt like I had a double life. Mm. I had this this life that I knew the real what the real world was like. I had been to, you know, slums in India and, you know, the supercar lined streets of Dubai. And I had seen so many different ways of life mm. that I felt very grateful for everything I had in my small like, town in Northern California. Uh, but I couldn't really share that with anyone. And it also felt like Nobody wanted to hear mm. about my stories. Did that create adversity during your time in high school? Because you, from what you're saying, like, it seems like these experiences that were so enriching to your life also uh, alienated you a lot. Yeah, I definitely felt very alienated. And I think that being able to travel at such a young age gave me a, a more broad life perspective. And I didn't feel like I had much in common mm. with the people that I was going to school with. Do you think that it put your problems in perspective and then you came back and you wanted to like tell people about it and then people Definitely. couldn't relate to that? Definitely. It, it put a lot of the daily uh, irritations that people have, especially at a young age, like totally into perspective. Yeah. But it was also hard because the county that I'm from in Northern California is the whitest county in all of California, like the least amount of diversity wow. in the entire state. Yeah, we've been, we've been. It's like 96 or 97% Caucasian. So seeing these different perspectives from other ethnicities and cultures uh, made me feel so much more understanding towards the outside world. So fundamentally, my ideology was changing so much through travel that I started having like drastically different opinions than my society. Yeah. How did you deal with that? I just knew that this isn't the community that I'm going to be able to thrive in hmm. for a long time. So I really just had to bide my time and, and, and try to make it through that period of my life until I was able to relocate to a more like diverse and open-minded mm -hmm. place. You know, it's interesting. The main difference between the three of us, both Lexi and I had parents that traveled. You don't. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the first time you were exposed to a drastically different culture? Yeah. I went to Turkey when I was, uh, it was my first trip outside of Egypt. Uh, I was 13 and I like barely, barely spoke English. But actually what I realized is uh, language actually didn't matter that much and it was it was a lot about like my signaling and my engagement and the way I'm like I'm laughing with people is what actually got me to like find where I wanted to go get the things that I wanted and that I think chipped away the insecurity that you know maybe me not spe speaking very good English is gonna prevent me from having the experiences that I wanted. Mm. Um, Body language is definitely the most important language you can have. Yeah. I only speak English. <laughs> Somehow made it through every country. Yeah. Speaking of that, I think conceptually it's easy, it's easy for people to be like, oh yeah, 
she went to every single country in the world by age 21. Like, that's the world record. But what does actually the world record imply? Like, what did you have to do? So there are all kinds of crazy rules for this particular Guinness World Record. You'd need so much evidence to prove that you had been to every country. So what, of, what does that evidence consist of? So the evidence ended up being 7,000 pages of documentation. That included plane tickets, passport stamps, uh, visas, taxi receipts, accommodation receipts. Witness forms. And the hardest part, yeah. too, was that I needed to get these witness statements. From every single country, I needed to find two strangers who live in that country that would be willing to verify that they saw me in their country. Did you feel that your life was ever in danger? Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely felt pretty threatened in some different s situations. I definitely experienced a lot of sexual harassment while mm. traveling as a woman. That was yeah. one of the most difficult aspects of it for me. But when I was traveling in Yemen, uh, I woke up in my hotel in Aden to the sound of AK-47s going off in the parking lot. And so I immediately wake up and go to the window and I look down and there's just a crowd of a hundred men and we're the only people staying there. <laughs> like, oh why are these people God. here? And uh, I could hear like voices in the hallway outside of my hotel room. I'm thinking to myself, this is what getting kidnapped looks like. And I was looking around this room, like where do I, do I hide under the bed or do I hide in the wardrobe? So I'm just there with so much adrenaline coursing through my body. I tried to call my only contact in the country who wasn't answering the phone. And uh, then eventually just had to wait there until eventually everyone started to leave. And I, the adrenaline wore off and I just cried until I fell asleep. <laughs> Did you ever realize what it was? Well, the next morning on the way to the airport, I asked my fixer what what was going on the night before? Cause I thought I was gonna, I literally thought I was gonna die. And he asked the security guard who told him that it was actually a wedding party. <laughs> and the since in their culture, they're not allowed to drink alcohol. They don't have alcohol in Yemen. One of the only ways that they can celebrate is by Gunfire. shooting their yeah. AKs. Yeah. And there was also no women at the wedding celebration. So. Yeah. <laughs> That was the explanation for that was basically just completely misreading the cultural setting. The boys are just having some fun. <laughs> the boys were having fun and it scared me a lot. They, oh they chose God. outside of the only hotel in town to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of understandable because in that particular town, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before because every building was destroyed by airstrikes. Like the hotel was one of the only buildings that was still standing. It was incredible that the people who were living there were still finding a way to make everyday life work with the complete destruction that they've experienced. So there's a few different categories of travel, I guess. Right, like you could go. That was extreme travel. Yeah, that one was like, extreme. <laughs> you can travel to like 50 or maybe even 100 countries and find mostly people that speak English, stay in pretty comfortable hotels. Like you could yeah. go to a good amount of countries and not really be challenged. The first 100, 115 of the easiest countries in the world to travel to are a breeze. Very easy to navigate, have t infrastructure for tourism set up. But those 
last stretch of 50 to 75 countries will push you and test you in ways that you would have never expected. What do you think the difference is of what you get going to those countries that are either dangerous or don't really have tourism infrastructure at all is? There's a lot of differences because it's not a relaxing experience. The type of experiences that you get out of traveling to extreme countries that Westerners don't usually go to is uh, something that's going to expand your mind mm. in a different way. What was it like for, for you going to Tuvalu? And for context, Tuvalu is it's the least visited country in the world. It's a small island in the South Pacific. So what I realized going to Tuvalu and then more and more to places that are less traveled to is people are so grateful that you're there. Mm. People there are like, oh my God, thank you so much for coming. And then at the same time, you get to hear stories directly from them about what their experience is like. And it humanizes the, the storylines and the news from a whole different, in a whole different way. Mm. It is the greatest education in terms of empathy. Like it is hard to do trips like that and sometimes come back and not in a way have a bit of sense of guilt you know, like we get to go and visit these places and then others, that's their reality. I know that you dealt with that a lot. Definitely. When I, I met you, you yeah. had a lot, an enormous amount of guilt for going to these places and then leaving and coming back to California in a comfortable Especially living environment. Especially to somewhere like Los Angeles that is just so much abundance. Extravagant. It's like reverse culture shock. Like when you go yeah. to these kind of places and you and you see another completely different way of life and then you come back and you almost analyze your own life and your own norms yeah. from the perspective of an outsider and even after traveling you can pretty quickly you come back but then you readapt mm -hmm. and you retake things for granted and you, know, you have to relearn how to be grateful and then I think that's why you have to travel often enough so that you don't get too soft <laughs> yeah. you have to Agreed. you'd like shake up your routine that's yeah. one of the most beautiful things that you can do with traveling is giving yourself an entirely different environment to soak up or i mean it also makes you know your life have so many different chapters because when, it, when you're in one place for so long, you can take everything for granted and then all of the days start to blend together. Yeah. All it, of a sudden, it's yeah. been weeks and months and years have gone by so quickly. And that's, that's something that always struck me about your journey is that I think you had one of the most unique aging experiences on the planet. Yeah, you broke the world record when you were 21, but that must be like 50 years of life experiences and yeah and my my travel experiences have made it feel like i've lived three complete lifetimes yeah. what do you find that your experience with the people in the places that don't have the infrastructure has been like this is actually something that i really liked that you said earlier about how you pointed out that the least visited countries in the world are actually home to the most excited people that are ready to receive visisitors because in countries like you know Japan or Turkey. Italy there's millions and millions of tourists who flock to their countries to their streets and just the locals become very jaded in the countries that experience the least amount of tourism they're so excited to receive foreigners. Mm, like, yeah. Have you ever been invited into people's homes more than when you're kind of off the beaten 
path. Yeah. People are so excited to see Absolutely. someone new. Yeah. And that leads to the most unique once in a lifetime opportunities. Like when you were, you know, drinking homemade moonshine in Ukraine with a babushka or yeah. you know, like those kind of experiences. You, you can't, it's not as easy to access that when the locals are just so used to seeing foreigners who especially don't respect their culture so often they become like numb to it and it's also the kind of thing that you can't really have a recipe for where to go or who to talk to like these are the kinds of experiences that it is dependent on your openness to be talking to people that you meet and to be putting yourself out there i think that's actually something that impacts a lot of people's quality of their trip is how much they're wanting to attract those kind of unique experiences because I think it really does have a lot to do with your mindset. Yeah. When you're like, I am open to whatever the world has for me today. When you walk out the door like that, crazy things happen to you. We'll be right back with Amar and Lexi after the break. Throughout my adult life, I've struggled with anxiety. And for a while, my mental health was majorly impacted by this. It wasn't until I started to take small steps every day and making daily meditation a part of my mental diet that I started to feel better. It was made amazingly easy and convenient for me using Headspace. Headspace is an easy-to-use app that offers you your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations. Backed by clinically proven research, Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. I've now meditated every single day for a thousand days straight using Headspace, and I can safely say that has changed my life. Meant to work around your schedule, Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash yes theory. That's headspace.com slash yes theory for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now, so go to headspace.com slash yestheory. And now, back to the episode. I remember when you, the, one of the hardest visas, at least in the time that I knew you, for you to get was the Pakistan visa. And then you went to Pakistan and you listed it now in your top five favorite travel experiences you've ever had. What, what were the people like in, in northern Pakistan? Because I think it has, they had that excitement, right? They're like, what are you doing here? They were so excited. Pakistan was one of the most overwhelmingly welcoming countries I have ever been to. People were just genuinely coming up to have a conversation with me. It's unbelievable how welcoming people were. Yeah. And to really feel like I could connect with their culture was un- unbelievably amazing. It's so hard because I've seen so many people ask, what's your favorite What's your favorite country? Well, so I, I never say what my favorite country is because I have uh, f- favorite countries for f- different reasons. Yeah. And I think that it's also important to remember that having favorite countries is so subjective just based off of whatever somebody's the, experience was yeah. like. And I've also found that 
people's favorite countries are often the ones that they've spent the most amount of time in, mm. coincidentally. Mm. But uh, that being said, some of my favorite countries are Egypt <laughs> for the history. I think it has the most incredible, well-preserved history in the world. You heard it here. You heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> so Egypt, uh, Venezuela for the natural beauty and the landscapes uh, of the country. And uh, Iceland, because yeah. it's the most unique island in the world. There's nothing like it. The land of fire and ice yeah. in the Arctic Circle. Uh, then Indonesia for the, the diving, the underwater world. And uh, the last one would be Pakistan for the friendly, how friendly uh, it is. It's one of the most friendly countries I've ever been to. Wow. That's a pretty diverse list. It's a very extensive yeah, diverse it's, list. It's very mm -hmm. 196 countries later, what's the conclusion? Well, I mean, it's a that's going to be a question that I'm going to be answering for a really long time because there are so it's like so many layers to this onion yeah. <laughs> of of uh, what my takeaways are from this experience and one of the biggest ones was that our cultures are so much more connected than I would have ever anticipated because it almost feels like I got a sampler platter of the world and it taught me that cultures influence each other in a really beautiful way. It's not just borders or these made up lines on a map. The world looks more like this cultural tapestry hmm. that is so interconnected and we're all influencing each other with, with the way that we communicate and our beliefs and the way that we do uh, business and relationships. It's all very much more connected than I had originally anticipated. How would you want people to approach travel in the future? Well, I think it's important to keep in mind that traveling with an open mind, that's going to be welcoming towards uh, diverse experiences and perspectives because traveling and stepping into other people's shoes is the number one thing you can do for increasing your empathy and compassion towards other people, which is exactly what the world needs right now. And to also share those experiences. And if you can go and try to have a completely unique experiences to yourself, if you're thinking about going to overcrowded uh, tourism destinations, maybe consider going to different cities or even different countries that don't have as much of a uh, reputation for mass tourism and you'll find that you'll have a much more pleasant experience. Yeah. Trust us. <laughs> yeah. Take the path less traveled. Mm -hmm. That's the moral of the story. Exactly. Whether traveling across the globe or to a neighboring town, sometimes all we need is to get out of our bubble, to explore a new place and discover how people live differently in other places, to realize that not everyone has the same priorities as we do and that we're not the center of the world. In many ways, we also end up realizing on trips that we have a lot more in common with people around the globe than we have differences. If you have the opportunity to go out and see the world, we believe that you should take that amazing gift and use it to expand your heart and your mind. Through our travels, we have continued to find one prominent thing that continues to get nurtured almost every time we travel somewhere new. Empathy. 
Seeing the world through a new lens allows you to gain a deeper understanding of humanity and in turn, yourself. So go out and seek. You may just find that the world isn't that big after all. We'll see you next week. I'm your host for this episode, Thomas Bragg. But I would not be here without my friends Amar and Lexi Alford. This episode was produced by Luke Himmelsbach and was edited and sound designed by Travis Lofman. The S3 podcast is produced by Luke Himmelsbach for Expedition Audio. From Headspace Studios, this show is produced by Danny Karasimi. Additional production help from Demira Pierre. The executive producers are Leah Sutherland, Morgan Selzer, and Sam Rogaway.